This is a CBC Podcast. Early this spring, there was a pretty terrible ice storm in Ontario and Quebec. It was one of the worst storms in recent memory. Well, at the peak of this event, about 1.1 million Hydro-Quebec clients uh, were without power. Uh, by midnight tonight, about... I was away when the storm happened. When I returned to Montreal, I looked out of my cab window, taking in the destruction the storm left behind. The trees were hit super hard. Branches scattered chaotically on the ground. Some trees even toppled over completely with bare roots sticking out of the earth. And I'm looking at a massive tree branch that is blocking the road that's fallen on top of a parked car. This is a scene that's playing It took weeks for the city to clean up the mess. And even though there were still branches on the ground, slowly, the trees started to recover. Buds began to appear. The scars were there but the trees started to grow again. They were healing. I'm Phelan Johnson, and this is Hell of a Story. Spring has that energy of newness, a buzz in the air that makes it feel like nature is well-rested, healed from whatever happened in the seasons before. How we heal can come in a lot of different ways. And for a group of inmates in New York, it comes in a way that some might think unconventional, through dance. Here's Figures in Flight, a documentary by David Gutnick. When I wake up in the morning, uh, before I even brush my teeth, the first thing that happens is that I point my toe. Every Sunday, I don't associate with the bars. I don't associate with the guards. I don't associate with having to get up and go when they tell you to get up and go to eat, stand for the count. The whole experience of prison, it erases it from my consciousness. It's about who we are right now and where we're trying to go through dance. You want to be always wearing your head like a crown, pulling up your stomach, that's nice, nice pull up. Hands down, parallel feet. Make your head heavy. And rolling up. Gavin, would you like to come to the front too, honey? And rolling down, I don't think you have enough space there anyway. Rolling down. My father was autistic and he was a savant. He probably had Asperger's pretty serious, but it was in the 80s and nobody had discovered autism yet. My mother had a borderline personality disorder. She was very destructive. And she immediately, because I had such a strong spirit as a child, she kind of took a dislike to me at a very early age. And in order for me to feel okay, I would dance. I would dance sometimes all day. I would pretend I was sick. I'd stay home from school. I'd start dancing in the morning and by the evening... All my problems were gone. I could deal with everything. So when I had started this dance career, I one day sat down and I said, where do people that aren't free need to feel free? And I said, in a prison. 
Donald Wellman. I go by JD. Kwame McLean, but known as Life. Anthony Lashley, go by Tally Foo. Prince Pilgrim, go by Ja Prince. Nicholas Patton, go by Sauce. Kevin Alaco, I go by Ozymandias. Rashid Stafford, go by Ra Ra. My name is Logan, I go by Logan. And I called up a prison and they laughed at me. What's your answer? That's the game. Thank you. Me, myself, a murderer. I understand that we always have the mark of Cain. Prison, it's a jungle. Knives and fights and more things going on. Of course, this class is not a jungle, it's a dance class. It's a forest. It's just a nice place inside of a jungle. So if you have a bad day in the jungle and you're not focused, you can bring that into this class. A bad day would be somebody trying to stab me, probably, and not succeeding. The majority of my guys were teenagers when they committed their crime. I'll just tell you one story. I was doing a philosophy class in the prison for the guys, as I very often do, and I decided to use the quote from Deuteronomy, I set before you life and death, choose life. And for me, what it was about, I had actually met with my rabbi and unpacked the quote with him. It was about that nobody is all evil, nobody's all good, that from the standpoint of my tradition, we are both, and in our lives, we need to choose. And it was a beautiful class. At the end of it, this prisoner, Tyrone Taylor, great guy, came up to me and he said to me, you know, I really liked your philosophy class a lot, but there was one problem in relating it to my life. And I said, what was that? He said, we never knew the other choice existed. They came from the ghetto. They came from having parents that were in gangs. They came from people surviving through what I call the underground economy selling something illegal. They didn't always know what was right and wrong. They didn't have good schools. They didn't have good parenting. They were victims of racism, institutionalized racism. So I don't see them as criminals. I see them as people who made a huge mistake, and that's not who they are. It's a six by eight cell. It's a window that has bars on it. I look over, I could see out into the yard in the back. My name is Kwame McLean, known as Life, and I've been incarcerated for 15 years now. I have books all over the place. I'm in college, I'm studying, I'm reading Shakespeare, I'm reading Rousseau. <laughs> I'm reading Machiavelli <laughs> and uh, has a toilet, it has a sink, it's a metal bed. When I wake up in the morning, uh, before I even brush my teeth, the first thing that happens is that I point my toe. And as I get up, I tend to do stretches. One, two, three, four, five, six, six seven, eight. Seven, eight, and up. Two. Three, four, five, six, seven, in four. Over <laughs> one. And every movement, you expand in further and further in a different opposite direction. That's what I get from dance. I get that freedom, that expansiveness of a bird flying. If you're not in control of your body, your body's going to control you. Plie. Let's count for yourselves. Go. My name is Thomas Hanks. I actually told my wife a couple of months ago, and I was telling her, I was like, well, you know, I got to go to dance uh, tomorrow. 
She said, Dan, she said, Dan, that, that sounds crazy, baby. And I said, <laughs> I said, well, it sounds crazy, but I'm not doing nothing for nobody else no more. I'm doing actually what I enjoy doing, what's making me feel good as a person and stuff like that. See, when I was in the street, living that street life, I was running around and I was playing with trying to appease other people and live up to the image that they wanted me to be. And every day coming down here, all that negativity is flushing it out of me. Warm up the feet a little bit, do some parallel tendus. Lifting up, taking the leg out from the back, point, and in. And point, and in. And point. The law is to change behavior. You lock someone up to keep them from doing wrong. Changing behavior by coercion. Dance changes behavior from the heart. They're not being forced to behave because they don't want to go to prison. They're being inspired to behave because of how they have embodied the dances and the themes of the dances, because all the dances have themes that are about transformation. Teaching people what they need to learn and the dancers learning what they need to learn from the dance. came in here when I was 18, 25 years, for homicide. In the Bible it says, as a child I did childish things, as a man today I do man things. The proof that I have changed is the way and manner which I dance. There's a beauty in stillness. I'm Ozzy, I've been in for five years, I'm 28 years old. Arms open wide, right fingers out. Drop into a full second position plie, extending the right arm outwards, pulling the left in reaching to the side, lowering yourself slowly in the most graceful motion possible, showing that, yes, I've been buked. You have tried to bring me down, but I'm still holding myself up. Left arm out, right arm coming in as you go into a deep second position plie, and your hand comes up, reaching for whatever it is that you believe in to help you reinforce yourself if you ever have doubts, and you rise to it, you draw yourself back up to it. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of plie and a lot of plie. I'm 43, so I'm not young anymore. The hamstrings, uh, your calves, glutes, glutes, glutes. I mean, you use the whole body. But after a while, you become accustomed and you flow. feel a warm sensation inside. I mean, I feel release. And when, after the dance is over, it's like coming down from a spiritual high or something like that. And then I'm coming back into being who I am, the man that you're speaking to right now. Doing push-ups and weights inside the cell or in the gym, because a lot of guys work out in prison, get that big size, it's all a part of the mass. When you come down here, this is when you start to take the mass off. Guys will walk by, say, hey, what's up, Twinkle Toes? You, you down there doing your Twinkle Toes? And I'll be like, well, you know, that's how you see it. That's how you see it. But some same guys 
As soon as they come down here or they see a performance, it touches them. You have people that seen the last performance we did, it actually pulled them to want to be part of the program. I have been called just about every name under the sun that relates to homosexuality. Of course, it seems a bit feminine being in a masculine environment. To look around this room, the average height is at least 5'11". The average build is serious build. Not extreme bodybuilder, but nobody's going to say things to these guys' faces. There are a number of people that talk behind our backs. But just like in the real world, all of us in this room know and realize that there's absolutely nothing we can do to shut them up, to make them change their minds, except to continue to do it, to push for it, to let them see the difference that dance gives us, the ability to focus on one thing at a time, the ability to push to the extremes, a state of mind that you can't get walking around the dorm, listen to, yo, what up my this, that, and the third. A type of difference that takes you so far away from a wall and a group of guys who all they're worried about sometimes is whether they're going to get 15 or $20 in the mail, whether or not their new shoes are coming in, whether or not they have cigarettes. Here, none of that matters. We don't even wear the shoes. What we're doing is actually removing ourselves from a situation that's going to keep us in an environment like this, either mentally or physically. This is what happens. Something happened in each person that makes them make bad choices, right? Dance shows you that no matter what you do, you have a choice. It teaches me how to interact, either physically or verbally. When I started and I said, people make bad choices, my bad choice was that I didn't communicate. I didn't seek out help. So now I learned from that mistake. I learned that I, I'm not here by myself. This world does not exist around Albert. Albert exists in this world. It's funny because Albert and I were just talking about how we're like naturally introverts, but we've become extrovert because it helps us to grow. We can't hold everything that we have to each other. It's either we can have an interchange of encouragement with others and then get back feedback from them. And what are we doing? If it's positive, we're going to go in a positive light. Right hand goes all the way up and your left hand. So it's almost like you are like an airplane going sideways. But it's not a plie. You want to just take your knees and almost like your knees have eyes on them. Mm -hmm. You just want to put your knees towards where your hand is going. That's all. So it doesn't read like a plie. It reads like oh, so a gesture. Together? You want to go together? Yes. If they're together, it would be better. If you right. can change your feet so that they're together. Yes. That's and then okay. let's snap up. Putting my right leg behind my left leg, and it helps me. It's like a balance. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. If and you it helps do that. me. But, but now, I'd rather you do it with like this. If okay. You can do it. All right. Okay. These are the best dancers I've ever worked with in my life. I would rather work with them than almost any group of people. It's not a good deed. I go there as a choreographer to witness what I'm seeing. They are giving me a great gift. They think I'm going there and helping them and, you know, all of that. That's not what's happening. What's happening is we're developing a confluence between us of dancer and choreographer, and we're linked by paying attention and by a tremendous amount of love that flows back and forth between the music in them, between the movement in them, between them and me. You know, they all think of me as a mother. I got old enough where they all call me mom. 
And on Mother's Day, they make these elaborate cards for me. When they get out and they get on Facebook, it's dear mom, you know. <laughs> and a lot of them have had their mothers die while they're in prison. Bells ringing. That would be people singing. At one point, I hit a very emotional point. I had a very emotional point where Susan was talking about walking. And she was talking about walk to your loved one. And um, as, as we was practicing that, that image was in my mind and, 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 I, try to, and I try to do it. And knowing Susan for, for seven years now and having that thought really touched and affected me. It's good. Attention is love. Nothing happens. There's no caring without directing your attention. We've given each other such a power load of attention. I want to do that for all of you. Next. For the past six days, inside this prison environment, it's been very stressful and uh, weighed down very heavy on my on emotions and my state of peace of mind. So for the six hours, I was able to re-empower myself to be able to deal with the next six days that I got to deal with. Doing time is not easy. I met a lot of people that I spoke to, like, if this is Sunday, Monday they die. You know, that's a great fear for a lot of brothers in prison is to die in jail. A lot of people don't think prisoners cry, dance, or do anything like that. But the truth of the matter is that we're still human. We're not just these type of animals that they think we are, but we cry, we feel all type of pains like everybody else. We want to go back to the free world and be a part of the, the big society, you know, yeah. My expectation is that this dance is going to be a mess, so don't, don't make yourself nuts trying to think that uh, I have a different expectation. Take a moment to make yourself present like Gavin is always doing. The most important moment in a dance is when? It's the moment before the music is turned on. <laughs> if you're not there for that moment, you're not there. Let's do it. I've been incarcerated since I've been 16 years old. More than half of my life. And um, that's been one of the most trying situations for me, but it's also been liberating because I've grown both on a mental, spiritual, and physical level in ways I think that the free world wouldn't have allowed me. And that's something that many people wouldn't feel to say because of, you know, the harshness and the struggles that go in prison, you know, the constant psychological warfare of the place no man is an island and that's actually what this dance program is it's a support group when we get out of prison out of this crazy environment and make application of what we've been practicing there's no way that we could come back in here or should come back or make the same bad mistakes well, it's a beautiful thing at the end of the day now we gotta That doc was produced by David Gutnick. It originally aired on the Sunday edition in 2013. Do not worry about it. We're working on it tonight. Not that I know the steps, but we'll all figure it out together. We were curious about Susan's class and how everyone was doing all these years later. So we gave her a call. 
Susan is now 77 and decided to end the prison dance program during the pandemic. She's not in contact with anyone in the dock anymore, but she's written a memoir about working with the inmates. Susan now spends a lot of her time helping refugees settle in America. I'm Phelan Johnson. This is Hell of a Story. Coming up, stories about healing in the garden. One of my favorite things about spring is the birds. Waking up to the sounds of birds makes the morning a little sweeter, a little easier. That's one of the things gardeners love about the hobby, letting nature engulf their senses. We now know gardening has positive effects on mental health. Here's Tanera McLean's documentary about healing in the garden. On my property here at the condo, when you come out, my garden, it looks kind of like the property. So, because I don't have a fence, I have sort of an open uh, deck. And on my deck is all my potted plants. I grow probably a dozen different kind of potted plants. They're all large. And then, and then closer to the house, some of the grass fades off and there's some moss uh, growing along the most shaded areas. Um, and behind the moss and sort of interspersed with it a bunch of uh, lily of the valley come up every year um and they just it's gorgeous to me so you see these little um little green tubes with uh these little um white kind of bell flowers uh popping up in little shoots throughout the yard um we have three uh cedars cedars and a big long row of of um vining tomatoes that you know reach halfway up the side of the house um, and in the back, we have some dogwoods and some hydrangeas and a little rose bush that I'm managing to keep alive, even though it's not quite in the right spot. I feel connected to my mom when I'm in the garden. I had never thought about gardening. Um, really at all. I was traveling and working abroad and um, settled down with my partner sort of later in life. I was in my late 30s and we bought a house and then suddenly I was presented with this wide open space and my mom just started making suggestions and buying me plants and over time um, I guess I, I adopted the same passion for it that she always had. My name's Sherry Ritchie. I've been an amateur gardener for about 20 years, thanks to my mother. Um, it's probably one of the best things that she's given me. My mom, Linda, she was a passionate gardener when they moved out to the farm. Um, it was a, a house that was built in the 30s that 
was in the same shape that it was in from the 30s. So it needed a lot of work. And the yard was, you know, sort of unmanicured with chickens running all over. Um, and mom turned it into this beautiful, beautiful oasis over all of the years that they were out there. My mother was, uh, she worked her whole life, raised three kids, um, very busy woman. Um, husband was a farmer, my dad, Ron. Husband was a farmer, but also he worked full-time for the telephone system. So um, there was a lot on their plates as uh, a young married couple and with a family and so a great number of demands on her time. And there was a huge, huge yard on this farm. And I think besides the, the perennial garden, um, one of mom's greatest pleasures was getting on the riding mower and just cutting the grass for hours and hours. And um, I never really understood as a young woman what, you know, what's the, why she took so much pleasure in it. And it was her escape. It was a place to go uh, where she didn't have to worry about homework, figure skates, 4-H. So for her, it was like a place to go to be able to relax, just to sit on the riding mower, listen to music, and just ride in circles around the yard. It was a peaceful place, and it was a place where she was able to have impact and agency, whereas, you know, in life we're not always able to do that. My mom was uh, 63 when she was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's. Um, and with that, I mean, Alzheimer's is a terrible disease, um, but the early-onset form is particularly vicious. And so her decline was very rapid. By the second year of, of her illness, I could see a difference when she was out in the garden. I'm sitting on, on, the, on the deck, looking past the pond, and um, Mum is out walking through her perennials. And I can see her thinking, um, like she's wondering what it is she should be doing. And she will bend over and she pulls up a weed, takes a few steps, she looks around. And I'm realizing that she, she isn't remembering exactly what she should be doing out there. Um, and it's very sad. But I can see that that's where she wants to be. She wants to be out in her garden. And it, regardless of how hard that is, she, um, she's comforted by being there. So I, I go out and I, um, and I walk with her and we pull weeds and we deadhead flowers and we talk about the lilies and we talk about the peonies. For all of my life, I've I've kind of had an ongoing issue with 
feeling like I belong anywhere. There's always been the sense for me that um, if I'm with a group of friends, they might be having a better time if I wasn't there. If I'm at a party, it might be more fun if I wasn't there. If I'm at a job, it might be uh, there might be somebody who'd be better suited to the position. And I've always felt a little on the outside of everything. And it's not for the fault of friends or family or anything like that. I, uh, I've always felt a little bit isolated and disconnected from the world around me, which is... Um, one of the wonderful things about gardening. <laughs> Hello, I'm Eric Borowski. I'm a, a novice gardener. Um, I've only been doing it for a couple years. Um, don't have that green of a thumb yet, but I, I, I love it so far. Plants don't ask much of me. Um, <laughs> Not that uh, people are necessarily demanding of, of, of me or anything like that. It's just uh, I don't have to worry as much about what's going on uh, in a plant's mind. I know it's, it's looking for food and water and to ward off uh, diseases and dangerous in, and uh, um, parasitic insects. And that's just kind of its whole thing. Um, and I, as long as I'm helping it along with one of those, then... Uh, the plant and I are on good terms, so I, I don't have to worry as much about what the the plant wants. I can I can just look it up online, and that's that's easy. Uh, uh, people are a little bit more complicated. Not that I don't uh, love people, <laughs> but uh, they they can certainly be more complicated than plants sometimes. I'm not the most social person. Um, I, I have things that I'm interested in and I can uh, talk anybody's ear off about them, but, um, particularly, um, in the case of being at, um, um, say a, a party or something like that, unless it's just me and two or three other people, I feel like I shouldn't be there. Like all these, these people, um, have, they're all, like, I know them, uh, my friends, they're all, they're all talented people with a myriad of skills about the highest praise i can give myself is i'm okay at something and that's that's about the peak of it i feel isolated and uh not worth the time uh, uh, time is such a a precious thing for everybody but that's the only thing we can't get more of right and so that feeling that i am wasting somebody's time by being in their presence is it hurts. It's something that I've gotten, um, it's something I still deal with, but it's something I've gotten better at coping with, coming up with different solutions, but it's, it's always there. The nice thing about gardening that I can get into is sometimes when you're feeling really overwhelmed, or you're feeling angry or upset, like you can just go out and fork the dirt and just it's not going to harm anything it's going to be beneficial to the ground and you don't have to explain anything and you can just fork away and rip out weeds and <laughs> put your energy into that instead of into negative thought processes or negative thinking or unleashing it somewhere else in other destructive ways it's like positive destruction I guess My name is Naomi Holmstrom, and I am an eclectic gardener. 
I have found that being outside and being in nature helps to deal with when I call it falling into the well, when I fall down into the deeper parts of the depression. Um, being in nature and with gardening, it helps to bring me back out of that. I myself was diagnosed with major depressive disorder a number of years ago. It's described as having sort of a borderline where you're kind of lower than the average person. And then once in a while, you might drop down into an even lower depression and then come back up to more of a normalized or close to normal feeling of, of not being depressed, I guess. It's a heavy depression. It's not like being constantly depressed. You're kind of low and then get lower and then back up to kind of low. When I'm uh, in, in the deepest part of it, when I drop down into that lower portion, um, I feel it and experience it as exhaustion. Like, I want to get out of bed and I want to do stuff, so then I feel guilty and I start feeling worse because I'm like, I, you know, I need to be doing this, I need to be doing that. And all I want to do is hibernate and stay in my bed in my warm room with dim lights and, you know, warm treats and things like that. And it's a physical exhaustion, actually. During some of my therapy with my psychologist, um, we went over some things that could help for self-care practices. And she happened to ask me what kinds of things I enjoyed doing. And gardening was one of the things that came up. And I said, yeah, I just, I really like it. And she's like, well, let's focus on that. Let's bring that in as a tool to use to help with managing this condition for you. Even though I don't have much space um, to plant in, if I just get out on when I'm feeling low or starting to feel lower, if I go out and, you know, put my hands in the dirt, if I go play in the dirt, I call it playing in the dirt. If I go out and play in the dirt, it kind of brings back some of those good feelings of being in the sunshine and, and having a good feeling. And that often will help bring me back out of, you know, if I'm feeling overwhelmed or starting to feel the depressive symptoms again. Gardening has helped my mental health by, uh, I think, most fundamentally making me feel like I'm, I'm connected to nature and to the world around me in some way. I, I never feel unwelcome in my garden. Putting something in the soil, giving it water, making sure it's in the right position, um, uh, making sure that there's something supplying nutrients in the soil, uh, that's, that's my part. And seeing the way that other plants interact with those plants um, and how the insects um, go from plant to plant and everything has its sort of place. There's, I don't know if there's harmony, but everything has its, its place and its role in this sort of environment that we're doing and feeling that I have my place and role in this, uh, making this garden look nice is it's a nice feeling it makes me feel connected there's a comfort and a connection that i have when i'm when i'm gardening i can hear my mom talking to me when i'm in the garden i can i can hear her telling me 
what to expect from the Ligularia. When she bought one for me at the greenhouse, she says, you know, the, the leaves are going to wilt in the middle of the afternoon. There's nothing wrong with it. Don't panic. The garden gives me relief because when I'm out there, I'm remembering mom in her garden. I'm remembering our trips to the greenhouse. And so it, it's giving my mother back to me before she was sick. So I'm really looking forward to this summer. The perfect gardening day would be lots of sunshine, but not too hot. Hot, but cool. A tiny bit of a breeze because working with dirt, you don't want wind, but you want a little bit to get the cool air. Preparing the soil, you know, getting all the dirt. Dirt on my jeans. Watch the insects fly by doing their thing. Watching uh, bumblebees um, collect pollen from the, the flowers. Um, watch dragonflies zip from here and there in the yard. And I could just smell the fresh fragrance of the flowers. Take a, a deep breath. And, and then, you know, finishing all the deadheading, maybe um, in the morning pulling in some lettuce, some greens, picking some tomatoes. Later in the day when it's cooled off, going back out and watering. Watering. And then the cleanup afterwards. My favorite part of gardening is the after effect. So when I sit down and I'm tired and sore from having spent four or five hours outside, and I sit there with a tall glass of iced tea in the sunshine. Hands covered in dirt. Finishing the day out in the yard with my husband, just sitting on the deck. Looking at all the new plants I've just planted and the little bees and the little flies and little things that are going to start coming in soon to check it out and say, oh, what have you planted here? Just so that I can do it the next day again. <laughs> that doc was produced by Tanera McLean. It originally aired on the doc project in 2021. that's it for this week's Hell of a Story. The show is produced by Tanera McLean, Julia Poggle, and me. We're part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. If you like what you're hearing on Hell of a Story, why not hit subscribe, save to your favorites, tell a friend about us? We'd really appreciate it. I'm Phelan Johnson, Nyawagoa, and thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.